Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever time of day it is that you are listening, folks. Thank you very, very much for listening today. Today is the 14th of April, year of our Lord, 2022. Welcome to yet another edition of the Bunny Cardigan Show, presented by The Athletic. I'm, of course, joined by the on-again, off-again man who wears the cardigan, James Edwards III of The Athletic. James, can you hear that? Do you hear that sound? That's Zoom audio. What are we using Zoom audio for? Who do we got on deck for us today? You you should apologize to me first. For why? Why did I do? Because you told me I just, like, don't get guests. I just kind of just say I'm going to get yes and then don't do it. And then you've been asking me to get this guy for a while. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. James He's here. James had to flex on everybody. And he I think you did this despite me, but I'm very, very excited. This is a very big day for both of us. You were getting a little disrespectful. (laughs) Put me in my place. James, what do we got today? Motor City Cruise head coach DJ Baker on the show. DJ, thank you for joining us, man. Sounds like you guys are excited to have me. Hopefully it's not too big of a letdown for the fans. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, no, people, one, people have always been interested in your story because they know that you came from the Pistons organization in terms of being a player development coach. You were with Dwayne in Toronto. Um, we've done stories together over the years. Uh, so you're obviously in, like, I know a lot of player development coaches usually play the background but because of our work over the last few years, people have gotten to know who you are and are very interested. So um, now that you've kind of catapulted to this, this head coach job, I think it's, I think people, there's a, there's a cool story there. And I think a lot of people have questions about like the dynamic um, and also the dynamic of being a first year head coach. So we have some fun questions for you and I appreciate you uh, doing this. And Nick wants to know how close he was to making the team before Just, we get started. Okay. Go ahead. I'm not, I'm not going to amend that. Go ahead. Knowing, knowing that um, selling tickets and getting fans in the seats was something that was important, uh, we thought from that standpoint he could obviously add a tremendous amount of value. Um, <laughs> I love like the not winning games, but as like a, like as like a circus act, he yeah. would be really good uh, on this basketball team. My question was essentially going to be like. Uh, like what was the process for you and Rob to decide? Cause you guys picked Jalen Johnson first, right? He was the, the first pick that you guys had. Yeah. yeah. Um, Flint, no Ipsy. He's from Ipsy. Ipsy. Um, I, I was, I was in Los Angeles when the draft happened, I had my suit on, I was ready for the call and I, you know what? It didn't come, but I figured that's what next year's for. It's just an opportunity for growth. Um, I actually want to, I want to start this out on a note of like, um, I don't want to like just start by gassing you up, but James can attest to how uh, frustrated I was when coach of the year got announced. 
And I'm not like I I sent James like four or five all caps, like explicit (laughs) or or expletive texts that I will not read aloud. You have a big fan of Nick. (laughs) I was really upset for like the last like month. I was like, I was like, when do they announce? I was like, okay, it's either it's like around when the playoffs start. So as soon as the playoffs start every single day, I'm checking coach of the year, coach of the year, coach of the year. I just want to say. I, I, you're going to be a diplomat and you're going to be like, well, it's a group effort and all this stuff. I'm here to tell you right now, when you have a team who is in year one of even existing and your top five in offense, in terms of points scored, your top five in defense, in terms of points allowed your uh, top five in point differential, <laughs> and you have the it. best home record in the league. I just feel like that guy mate was, you guys are the second two, two seed or the three seed, uh, the two seed, two seed. What, so so explain to me uh, what the hell happened and did that like were, were you kind of like, you know, because I know you're going to be, like, you know, it's a, I know it's a group effort, but in the back of your head, were you kind of like, maybe I'm going to get this year one? <laughs> uh, well, f- first of all, I appreciate the support on that and in uh, knowing those statistics is pretty it's pretty cool. And and to go back real quick, the thought of you at our open trial, that was our fir- our first motor city cruise basketball event which i don't know you know whatever it was in september yeah and thought that we've gone from open tryouts to a training camp to a showcase first part of the season showcase cup into a regular season into the playoffs and now it's the off season i mean that, that like even you bringing those things up is um uh it, it's crazy to think about where we are to, at in the year but uh you know um we had, I'm really proud of our guys and the group that was put together, the character of the players that we had, the organizational support that we were given uh, from the top of the Pistons organization um, and the coaching staff, and then the the support staff and coaches that we had in place. So I remember I was with coach Casey in, um, I forgot what year he won it. 2018, maybe he was coaching. He won it in, uh, yeah, 18, yep, 17, 18. Yeah. 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 And, and, I remember the organization, the, the Raptors organization and coach Casey talked about like, that's an organizational award. Like coach of the year is a representation of a, you have great players who are winners. You have an incredible staff who helps you lead the program and you have a supportive front office that has done a great job of a giving you the resources you need, the support you need and in the players, obviously that you need as they construct the roster. So I always remembered that, um, whatever that was now, four years ago, five years ago, when he won that award, that it was so much bigger than him. And obviously he was the head of it and he deserved that. But that award to me means it's a reflection upon the whole staff and players and organization. So I think that would have been really cool because it would have been a, a representation of everybody um, um, from top to bottom. And so from that standpoint, it would have been cool. You know, something else I was I was really proud of is only three teams made the showcase cup and the playoffs mm-hmm. and um you know eight teams made the vegas uh uh showcase cup the top eight teams from uh just total from the league not east or west and then obviously six and six from uh for the playoffs from east and west but uh that to me is probably one of our the proudest things that i am from the organization for the players because all that means to me is like they had great consistency and great growth throughout and we weren't just like really hot at the beginning or really hot at the end, but like they were, I think over the entire year, I think we had like third best record. And like I said, one of three teams to make both. So I'm, I'm, I'm more than proud of, you know, but again, that goes back to 
It's the organization. It's the support that we have. It's the resources we were given. It's the roster construction. It's the competitiveness of the players that we had. And then I had a great, great staff and a support staff. So it's, it's a, culm- a culmination of all those things. I want to start here because I actually haven't talked to you about this question specifically. When you get the job, you obviously, I'd imagine your mind is racing. You're trying to figure out how you, for the first time in your career, you're running the show. Uh, how do I want this to look? You try to prepare for everything ahead. What was the one thing that you could not prepare for as a head coach that you just kind of had to experience or that you learned by just going through the experience? You're like, oh, I didn't even think that could pop up um, in this situation. It's funny because I've had multiple talks throughout the season with Coach Casey about the same exact thing. And I have a completely, I you know, this upcoming year will be year seven with him. And, you know, like he's been great to me. But I've always respected him and always th- thought highly of him. But I would say I have significantly more empathy for him now than I ever <laughs> have. Than I ever have. Because um, the one thing I did it that I knew – I knew happened, but I didn't know to the degree at which it happened was anybody at any time can come to you with anything, you know, like you are the guy that they come to logistics, travel, bus issues, players, right. Minutes, rotations, talking to the front office about uh, what they're seeing from a developmental standpoint, what their expectations are, coaching staff, support staff. I mean, media, you you can get hit it from eight different directions at any given time and you might be like locked in over here and you get you get hit over there you know so right um i knew i observed coach casey the last six years to see him always have people coming in and out of his office i was like oh, okay you know he's got a lot going on but i didn't understand the level at which like wow everybody kind of relies on you and everybody looks at you for direction and answers and understanding of what's going on with the program. It all falls back on you. What is like, without naming names, you don't have to do that. What's the most like, I'm pretty sure this isn't my job thing that somebody has come to you about. Um, it's a great (laughs) thing. I got a lot of those. There's a few like logistical questions on travel where it's like, Hey, uh, we can't get, 25 direct flights to uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. So uh, what do you think about this? Uh, you know, like, go, you know, yeah. like, and it's a great, it was a great question that was brought to me because it's yeah. like, okay, every option you just presented to me sucks. It's like, <laughs> what, what, what's the worst or what's the best worst option we can pick? I have no clue. Let's figure it out together. So uh, I would say like the logistics and the travel in the G League obviously are significantly different. We're very fortunate because we were in like a lot of the teams were in driving distance, Grand Rapids, Chicago, Cleveland, Fort Wayne. Um, so like compared to a lot of other G League teams, uh, we're pretty fortunate and we have DTW. So we got a lot of direct flights, but there was definitely a handful of random situations where you're like, okay, we played last night at 11 o'clock. Uh, we got to the hotel at 11 p.m. And you're telling me we have to have a 4 a.m. bus in the mm-hmm. morning for a 6 a.m. flight, like, okay, yeah, that doesn't sound good. Or you can <laughs> stay in the city, that random city in the middle of nowhere till 6 p.m. at night and have a direct flight. Like, eh, both of those pretty much are awful. So yeah. I would say, like, the logistics piece of it was was probably the most 
just like, oh, here we go again. But, um, you know, I would say that that was something that was kind of different. Your, your non-Detroit favorite G League city. Obviously, in the NBA, most of the cities you travel to are major cities. Like you said, there are the Greensboro's. Uh, there's the uh, college part, which is Atlanta. But there's yeah. there's a little more uh, unique cities. Do you have a favorite non-Detroit city or just not even favorite, but just like I would never have come here if it weren't for this job? Yeah. In season – uh i have a cheetah answer in season we went to vegas you know yeah. so it's like no oh, yeah that's, that's true a, yeah no that's, that's a cheat answer uh no uh portland maine is really i've heard good it's, things it's right on the water the downtown area is awesome shops you know restaurants you know we were there for a few days so you had a chance to you know we had a chance to go out to eat downtown but um really cool small little city brick road type thing so um that was a really cool experience. Um, that's probably one that I would never go there. In my yeah. Life. yeah. <laughs> it, in, it was in, actually Delaware, uh, uh, Delaware. We were in Willing- Wilmington, Delaware, which wasn't on the same level as Portland, but like the area was cool. And we were right on the river and, and that was cool. But I would say like Portland, Maine for where we went was like awesome. Really. There was, cool. there was like this, I don't remember who published it, but uh, there's actually not a lot of G League data that's available to the public in terms of like your on off and your defensive rating like and, and stuff like that. But there yeah. is actually a metric that defines like how fun the overall experience of, of going to one of these games is. The Motor City Cruise, I was going to bring this up, ranked second and first was the main Celtics. People love Denzel Valentine. My question to you uh, is... Uh, uh, Long time listeners of the Bonnie Cardigan show will know that like one to two percent of all the questions that James will ask are fed by me. One to two percent. And one question that I've always wanted to know about, but it's not practical for him to ask. So I will ask you is, you know, we it's it's easy for us to tell what a player's relationship with the media is like, because um, it's I mean, it's publicized and they talk about it ad nauseum. Um, but from like a coach's perspective, are you kind of like, like, what's your relationship? Like, are you ever going into something like, I'm not giving this guy a quote, like I'm, I'm giving him nothing. You know, good question. I think the, at the higher level, it's probably a little bit more like that. You know, for us, I had a tremendous amount of gratitude for, uh, the media, especially in Detroit, because there was like genuine interest and like a lot of support. Like I remember not even just when I got the job, but when the team moved to Detroit, there was so much buzz and excitement. You know, that's one of the things I've learned in living here the last four years, like the, 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 the fan base and the passion of the fans at all levels, college, high school basketball, you know, obviously NBA and, and now adding the G league team. Like there was so much support and excitement that, um, I obviously never felt like that with any media members. And, and I think obviously we had a successful year. So, you know, most people were pretty, uh, you know, if we were only 20, maybe, maybe somebody would have said something crazy, but no, it was my, my, so uh, feel on it was just a, a tremendous amount of like gratitude and appreciation for the support and for the coverage that our guys get. Cause it's all about our players and helping them get exposed. So anytime we had any media opportunities, it was like an exposure for the players. So Bally's did two of our games, one against the Ignite, and I don't remember the second one um, that they came to. And then, uh, and then guys coming to games, you come to trial. It's like the drive. 
was it the drive? Yeah, yeah, I think it was a drive. Yeah. I think it was a drive. Yeah, good call. So, um, yeah, it's more so like a lot of positive interactions and a lot of support and excitement, I would say. One thing I've always been curious about, first-time coach, that post-game speech after a loss, is that something you can prepare for? Or is that something that's just emotions in the moment? Uh, you can learn uh, about what other coaches do, other head coaches I've been with, what they do and how they handle it. So you can prepare from that standpoint, but you can't prepare for the emotions you're going to have after a loss, right? So right. You, like I've always taken notes, always leadership books, learning from Coach Casey, Rick Carlisle, other, you know, Coach Gerg, like other head coaches I've been around. I've always taken notes. I've always written things down of, how did they handle this? How did they handle that? Like I have like an ongoing sheet of things that I've, I've learned from them. So, mm -hmm. and I like to study other successful coaches all the time. Like that's something like I do in the, my free time. Like I'm a, right. third, you know, so like I know <laughs> what uh, people have done. So I kind of was prepared from that sense, but I've never felt the emotions or the pain from losing as a head coach, which is a, a completely different level than, anything you can experience unless you're the head coach as I, as I learned this past year. And so I always, is that because you feel like it's your fault just cause you're running the show. Like what, why, why is the just naturally, like if, if your team loses and you're the head coach, like, is it just because you feel like you could have did this better? You could have did that better. Is that where the, the pain is unmatched? Uh, it's two, it's two parts and it's not even close. The first one is the ownership piece that you just naturally, you, you can't feel the same level of ownership if you're an assistant coach. You could be all in, two feet in, work your butt off every single day, but the level of ownership when it's you and it's on mm -hmm. your name and it's you're the guy that's held responsible, there's nothing that can replicate the level of ownership you get from being a head coach. And then the other part is, yeah, you feel like it's a, a reflection of you. Did you have the team prepared? Yeah. How are your practices? Are the players on the same page? Are you communicating the things the right way? Uh, are you having your staff do, you know, do exactly what they should be doing? Was your focus, um, you know, where it needed to be? Did I catch everything in the moment in game? Like I should have. So yeah, you, I felt like every single loss was a direct reflection on me and my preparation and on my work. And, and so when you lose a game and you're like, even like our last game, I was like, man, that was on me, you know, like, mm -hmm. and, and you it's just, natural. Yeah. And so you can't replace though that type of an emotion when you're an assistant coach. And, and that goes back to what I told you about. I have so much more empathy for coach Casey and the other head coaches I've worked for in general, just because, wow. Like even though a G league head coaching job compared to an NBA head coaching job is, you know, one twentieth the job, I still have this, can see through the same lens as them, even though it's on a smaller scale, you know? Yeah, for sure. Even though, ahead, even though that's not great for you to like bear the weight of every single loss, I love it. And I would prefer my, <laughs> I would prefer the coach of like my team to, to feel that way, to feel like that sense of attachment, you know? Um, I kind of want to ask a little bit about like, so with you and Rob, like, do you, 
and like Dwayne and Troy, like, are you guys like super, like, are you guys always in contact? Like, um, I don't really know how to articulate this question. Like, not like going out to dinners and stuff like that, but are you guys like basically is, a part is of there each a group chats? <laughs> is there a Slack chat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say from, um, me, Rob and George David from, uh, roster standpoint from you know assignments going up and down there was constant you know chats on that you know that's a that's a daily who's practicing with us who are we going to have tomorrow oh shoot this guy got injured so no no longer we do there's like 24 7 dialogue uh with with that group of three uh, that i listed and then um you know troy is obviously overseeing it and making all the final decisions on these things um, but obviously he's making decisions over the entire organization. So I would say I didn't have as much like my, my daily interaction who I got the inf- information from was George, David and Troy. And then uh, excuse me, George, David and Rob, uh, right. which was from Troy. And then uh, coach Casey, me and him just have like an ongoing free flowing dialogue throughout the entire season about any, you know, about anything and everything players, How's it going? You know, he, I mean, he stopped in and a lot of times we would practice, they practiced at noon, you know, we practiced at nine 30 or finish up at 11 and he'd come out of his office and watch practice for 10 minutes. And he would ask me about a few players. It was really cool throughout the whole season. You know, when we went to Vegas and we won our first games and went to the semifinals, like getting texts from, you know, Troy or coach Casey or different Pistons players, like, you know, a lot of players like Rodney Magruder, Sadiq like guys would text me after the game and so like just having that communication even when we weren't physically with everyone was was that level of support was incredible but in terms of like constant daily dialogue of expectations and what's happening with the roster uh, that was daily interaction with George and Rob and and they did an incredible job because the organization really cared about us doing a great job. Obviously, A, they want us to develop the guys that are either G League roster players for me that have NBA potential or the NBA assignment players or two-way players that we had. So it was like the support of, hey, we got to get these guys to develop. But B, we want to be competitive and win. And I knew Troy really wanted to win. That's important because he came from Oklahoma City and that's how they treated their G League team. And then Coach Casey, obviously, I saw him with the 905 uh, winning is just in his DNA, no matter what it's summer league, he wants to win, you know? So, uh, I kind of knew that would be the level of support that we, that we had, but the dialogue was, was daily. I have two questions. Um, and one, I'm going to ask this one first, cause it kind of plays off that. First of all, shout out to Rob who I've gotten to know is just a good human being. Nice guy. I really, really like Rob. Um, so like you talked about the, the dynamic, Part of the reason there is a G League is for the main clubs to obviously develop players, um, get guys who are more main roster guys action, just get them if they're not playing much to get to get some mileage under them. As a coach, when Sabin, when Jamarco, Garza, even Livers were coming down to play to with you guys, most of those times those guys would start. And when they're not there, somebody else is starting. Do you have to like have conversations with the guy or guys who are um, there every day because they are pretty much direct to the Motor City Cruise, but 
the the point of the G League is to get these NBA guys ready as well. Like, is there a conversation, or do these guys kind of know what they signed up for? Yeah, no, I mean they know what they signed up for, but uh, the communication piece of it is is critical. And thank goodness uh, the front office, Rob, uh, they brought in very high character players. I'm talking about the ten G League roster guys that we had. Mm-hmm. Very high character guys where they weren't going to just, you know, completely become disengaged because, oh, all right, savings here tonight. So I'm either not starting. Sometimes it meant this guy's not even in the rotation tonight if multiple guys were there. They, we had a guy, Trayvon Palmer, who was starting yep. at the beginning of the year, playing 40 minutes a game, helping us win games. And and then there's games he didn't start and didn't play. And add this to it, we were winning I mean, if right. you're losing, if you're one and five and the NBA guy comes down and you don't play, it's like, okay, that makes sense. We were winning. So yeah. that adds another layer of like, this guy's like, oh, we don't need this guy to win. We're winning right now. No, but I would say the, the, the thing that really saved it, A, it started with the character of our players was absolutely critical. B, in the very first team meeting we had the night before training camp, uh, I list out these like four G League keys to success. And the biggest one that held true throughout the entire year, I said, was adaptability, was adaptability. Mm-hmm. And um, I said it with conviction the night before training camp. But now that I've lived a season of it, I, it's, it's a different level of like belief that like you have to have a, you have to be adaptable. You have to be in And if you can't handle the change, this league's not for you. You're better off going mm-hmm. overseas and just, you know, and being on a steady roster um and and thankfully we had like in the guys who did come down the assignment players or two-way players they embraced the crews like it wasn't like right so that also helped like the our g league roster players like embrace them more it's like they didn't big time us or they weren't above it or they weren't like oh geez i'm in the g league right now it's like there was great togetherness and we were very connected as a team and um and I, I, I knew I had to pour into the G, 10 G League guys I was going to have for the whole year. I knew I was going to have those guys for 50 games, and I might only have Saban or Garza or Livers for 10 games, 20 games, whatever it might be. But these other guys, I'm going to have you for 50 games in right. every practice day yeah. as well. Sometimes they didn't come up – think about that. Sometimes they didn't come up till the day of the game, and they missed right. shoot around. So my number one focus – I had to pour into the 10 players I knew I was going to have for the entire season and build a great relationship with them and let them know, like my number one goal is your individual uh, development. Like how can you improve your value in the marketplace so you can be in a better position in six months from now, this summer, next season, how can I help you grow, develop and take the next step forward in your career even if your playing minutes in the game are affected over the next three games, because we mm-hmm. have saved in the next three games, my focus is still how do I get you better and improve your value? And I think when you have like that genuine care for players that you truly one through 10, I don't care if a guy was out of the rotation, how can I help you get better to improve your value for next season? And I think they all knew I was pretty genuine about that. And, um, yeah. And then the G League, like I said, the NBA guys that came down fully embraced them as well. So there was like a, a culmination of multiple things that led um, to it actually being a pretty smooth process, you know? 
for sure. Difficult, Nick, difficult, but it was pretty smooth. Nick, let's take a let's take a quick break and come back. We'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we're back. Okay, uh, really quick. I think I know that I know James said he had two questions. I think I know the direction that you're going to take. So I just want to last thing on the cruise. Just one little thing that you said in there, you know, just on players coming down from the Pistons, whether it's Saban or whoever it is, Luca. Um, how easy, I don't want to say how easy is it? Cause I guess it could be pretty easy, but how often do you really see these guys, you know, get sent down and like kind of big time it and be like, I'm, I'm better than this. Like I'm above this. Um, like how common actually is that? I think it's very common in the G league. You know, I think it's about, you know, like the growth mindset that the players that you're bringing in, like, but we had examples upon examples of I've seen guys do it. I saw Pascal Siakam do it. I yes. saw Norm Powell do it. I saw Fred Van Fleet, DeLon Wright. If you look at the length of their careers, you look at the salaries that they all have right now. I told these guys, this is a springboard of your development to the next step in your NBA career. And there are countless examples. I mean, I like, I did a lot of research last summer. My assistants, like I put together a list of like, guys that have been in the G league, how many games they played in the G league, how much money they're making now, you know, so on and so forth. So it's like, guys, if you come in and you embrace this and you go two feet in, this can springboard you into what these other guys have accomplished and have done. And um, that was one part of the sales job right there is letting them know, like, this is really, don't, don't miss the moment. Don't do not miss the moment to get these game reps. And to get, you know, play pick and roll defense and and rebound and play pick and roll offense and make reads. Like, don't blow this because this is gonna directly translate to your NBA game. I'm not gonna put you in a situation if and I'm gonna I, you gotta be blunt, like, hey, this is the organization's vision for you as a player. And and Troy was great, Rob was great, coach Casey was great of telling those guys, you're going down there so you can develop this. And when you go down there, you better do this. Pick up full court, rebound the ball, switch with your defensive versatility, uh, make the right reads in the pick and roll. There was a very like clear instruction from front office, from Coach Casey and from myself, and we're all aligned. And so, A, they saw the examples of, okay, like a lot of guys have done this and had crazy successful NBA careers and made great money. B, the organization – values me as an individual and they want me to improve as a player and they've given me my blueprint of what I'm, I have to do and see we're here to win at the same time. Like, like everybody was trying to win and take it serious. So I, I would say the overall theme of that to me is organizational alignment. If you have the organizational alignment of everybody's on the same page from the G league head coach to the NBA head coach to the G league GM to the Pistons GM, and everybody's aligned and on the same page and saying the same message. Um, and we have competitive guys too. So honestly, like 
that's the other thing. Like they just wanted to play. Guys were excited to come down to the G League. I was blown mm-hmm. away. You know, a few yeah. times, you know, Sabanika minutes or or Luca or Livers or Pickett or Chris Smith. They didn't get minutes. They'd come down like they'd come down like ready to go. And I was like, yeah. wow, like not only are they like not against it, they're like, okay, like let's get to work. So um all around, all around it, it was smooth. But there's no question. I know other scenarios with other teams where guys were not excited. Nobody was excited. They were there. And that that's a real thing. That's a, that's a real yeah. thing. But, you know, the character of the player you have and the alignment of the organization pretty much should clean up a lot of those issues or concerns that you might have. I want to transition just a tiny bit. Um, obviously for you, taking the job as the head coach, you got into coaching. You want to – as you go throughout your career, you want to see where this goes, what you can get, um, where you can get to. And obviously becoming when they, when the job came to you, becoming the motor city cruise head coach in your mind was a great opportunity to not only be a head coach for the first time, but to advance in your career. Um, but I think most people would be like, there's no question. Like if I have a chance to become a head coach, no matter the level, I'm going to do it. But in, in your position, you were a development coach for a team that was starting to get some of the better young players in the NBA. You worked closely with Sadiq, um, obviously Cade coming in, Isaiah Stewart, Killian. Did you have to weigh that? Like this opportunity that they've asked me to do is a phenomenal chance and something that might not happen again. And, and on top of that, a lot of guys who are G League coaches have become NBA head coaches. Also, Sadiq Bey looks like he's going to be really good. Isaiah Stewart looks like he's going to be really good, and I can help them get to that point. Was was that uh, something you tossed around in your mind too, as you kind of made the decision to to come over? That was that was the hardest part, you know, when when they when we when we met and talked about it. Um, a the developmental part, obviously, I understood what position I was in within the Pistons organization, and um, and my role. Uh, that I'd be able to play through, you know, very important rebuild year, uh, restore year um, that the Pistons were having. But um, I was going to miss the players more than anything else. Like the relate, like, like I love working with Sadiq, but I, I really enjoy Sadiq the person that much more. And so mm-hmm. not being around those guys, uh, Killian and, and Cade and Isaiah and, and all the guys, that was a difficult thing to miss out on but I felt like this I was able to influence the development of so many more players on a larger scale is the way I viewed it as opposed to okay I'm going to work with sure. these, these two players are kind of under my wing this year these probably these three players are under my wing and they're really important and they got to get it right but it's like okay there's prospects from the G League roster there's your two-way players and then there's your young end of the bench players like the G league matters so much to the Detroit Pistons because of where the Pistons are at in their organ, you know, where the, we're at as an organization if we're competing for a championship right now. And we are a veteran heavy team, you know, where it's like, I don't know how important the G league team is to those organizations. And so it kind of was like, okay, I'm going to miss these specific players a lot. And I know I could, have an impact on two or three of them, or I can take a huge step forward in terms of having like 
more organizational impact through the development of many, many players. And so Certain. that, that was a big part of it. Um, and, pro, and from an organizational standpoint, I wanted to be where they wanted me to be. Where, how, where can I provide value the best to the Pistons organization Absolutely. And, and, and to coach Casey coach, where, where do you want me to be? Like, and, right. and obviously I don't think he wanted me, you know, I know we, uh, he didn't fully want me off the staff. Obviously I knew that was something that he, he told me selfishly. Like, he's like, I, I you know, that's going to be tough, but uh, I think I could help at a larger level from a developmental standpoint as a G league head coach. So I'd say from a professional standpoint, that was the battle for sure. Uh, and then from a personal standpoint, um, you know, seeing the trend of just, you know, six or whatever head coaches in the league right now are former G league head coaches. Yep. And um, uh, I know it'd be a huge growth opportunity for myself individually to grow as a coach, you know, so I could, it's all about getting better. It's all about improving. And I know I took massive strides as a coach and as a leader this year because of this job that I wouldn't have been able to hit the same strides from a develop a personal developmental standpoint on an individual level. So um, the more I thought about it, it was like, it's a no brainer. You have to do it. But those initial reactions were like, man, I want to keep working with Sadiq and these other guys and keep helping them grow and develop. <laughs> a, you love them as, as human beings and B, like they have great potential as players. So uh, that, that went through my mind a lot at, at, at first. I know. Uh, I, I, have, I have one more Nick. Go ahead. And then I'm done. Go ahead. One more. While we're on topic, I've we've talked about it, DJ. I've gotten to know Sadiq the person this year. They're best friends. Um, he's gonna he's gonna sugarcoat it. Relax. They're, they're boys. They're best. No, no, no. In the, just, no, 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 no. Hold on. He just admitted. He just admitted. I have the best shoes in the league. That's it. Stop. That's the in whole, the last, in the last working episode, relationship. In the last episode, we said that uh, Sadiq is James' best friend of the year. So uh, he's gonna. It, they're best friends. They're boys. You just say ridiculous things. I've gotten to know him uh, as many other players, but. I think Sadiq, I bring up Sadiq specifically because he's very serious at first. And the first time I covered him was through Zoom, so there wasn't a lot of person-to-person interaction. Yeah. Being around him this year, like, he's got a really good personality. Like, he's a funny guy, but it takes a while to get there. Um, and I think when people hear about, like, when I tweet about uh, Sadiq, being a gym rat or I ask questions about like them needing, like them asking him to to take a break and like go find another hobby. I think people think that's just like, oh, basketball player in the gym type thing. You can attest to this. It describes Sadiq Bay as someone who was with him every day for multiple hours to people that might not understand how much this guy loves basketball. It, it, it goes back to what I told you really early on when I met him, like, he is a rare breed. He is yeah. old school. He is not – he played all 82 games. Like, he was yep. not like, I'm not sitting down. Like, you he will, you know, like, like <laughs> you can't tell him – and not in a bad way. Like, we, he trusts everybody and everyone has the best intentions. But you can't tell him to stop working. He will not listen to you. Like, and if he – if you tell him to slow down – He'll say, yeah, okay. And then they'll find a, a, a private gym somewhere at night to go, <laughs> you know, like, like he is going to find a way to get better and get his work on work in by any means necessary. And I, and I truly meant that like, he is a rare breed. 
you can't find many guys like him. Like everybody works on their game. Everybody loves the game. He has an obsession, like a true and genuine obsession with getting better and with learning. And, uh, and he has a, a, a constant hunger and desire. You know, those, there's those games where, you know, you played back-to-back minutes and a guy played 35, 38 minutes and, you know, they're dying to get to their off day. And rightfully so. It's not a knock on anybody else, no. right? It's like, yeah, no. you you need an off day today. Like, you've been playing a lot. Or you can't keep him out. He And even if he doesn't go on the court, he's doing something for his body. He's he's doing rehab. He's in the cold or hot tubs. He's, um, uh, he's watching film. He's texting you about, can I – I want to see this film. I want to see that film or semi film of this, or he's watching a different game. So um, he lives it and he breathes it. And I think a lot of these guys do, but he does it to the point where what day is it? It's Tuesday, Wednesday today. Wednesday, like, yeah. he, he might be working out today. Like he might be working out today. Like he yeah, might catch yeah. a basketball today, you know? So um, I hope I they do- lock the PPC. I was going to say something to Dwayne and Troy about that. Took his fingerprint off for the next month. (laughs) Um, No, but he is, he's a genuine student of the game. He wants to become great. And it's not about talk. Like you talk about like, you know, when guys are like uh, the greats do things that they don't want to do at that time, but they force themselves to do it anyways. You know, it's like, I don't feel like doing this right now, but I know I should. So I'm going to he doesn't even have those times where he's like, I don't feel like doing this right now. That is what's crazy about him. I've never been with a player. that's like, shoot, I don't really want to get this workout in right now, but all right, let's get it in. He doesn't even, that, that, that his brain can't even process that. That's just so what he likes to do. It's what he does. Yeah. He like li- wakes up and like schedules his life around doing that and everything else falls in place after. So home run person, home run character, but Work ethic, approach, mentality, rare, rare. Yeah, which I think is just obviously a testament to how good Troy has been with his talent evaluation, not just in Detroit, but in in Oklahoma City. And like his track record speaks for itself. Uh, The question I want to ask, and we won't keep you for too much longer. Maybe we'll wrap up on this. This is not a serious question at all, but I also am serious. It was in a little little thing that you said, a little slip up that you had, because like other people have had this before. Pre-draft, Cade said rebuild and then never said rebuild again. He said restoration, <laughs> restoring, restore. Uh, Killian's done it and Isaiah's done it. And then you had a little slip there where you said rebuild, restore. Is Troy like waterboarding people until they get like until they get it in their head that it is a because you can only restore something that's historically great. And the Detroit, it's like a classic car and the Detroit Pistons are historically great. I get it. It's a great quote and I agree with it and I'm, I'm on board with it. But it feels like there's like this weird palpable energy that if you say rebuild, there's going to be like lasers trained on your head. Like what's going on? I think it's um, a mentality. I actually had a, uh, my phone buzz because it heard me say rebuild. So like, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It is a, it, it is a mentality for sure. And um, sometimes you hear rebuild because that's what I've heard the last, you know, 10 years of my NBA it's life. It's in right? the, the general vernacular of basketball fans. That's yeah, just what, what it but is. But you know yeah. what? I love the mentality that I love, like Troy got shirts for everyone that said restore. I love I have the mentality. One. Like, yeah. Like that's incredible. Like, no, we're not rebuilding. Like we're restoring this. Like, like it's it's like we have a chip on our shoulder every day when we go to work. Like 
this place is special. It has been special. It has great history and we're going to make it special again. And, and I take pride on that as a, as a Pistons coach, as a Motor City Cruise coach. I know the players uh, take pride in it and like everybody has full belief in it and um, couldn't agree with Troy anymore about, you know, this, this was a great, great franchise. And even though we're not winning right now, it's still a great franchise and we're going to, you know, work day and night to put it back in that place of winning at a high level. And so mine is more so of like, uh, that's what my brain has been trained to say the last 10 years, but like, I love it. I love it. And so I'm fully bought into it. And I think the players are fully bought into it as well. And it's awesome to hear that they have started to say restore, you know, Ah. (laughs) I, I, I love that. And, um, that's leadership. That's leadership. And, um, and I think everyone's bought in and on the same page on it. Yeah, absolutely. James, you got anything else? I think that's it. DJ, okay. thank you for the time, man. Congratulations on a, a on a on a great first season. Um yeah, it was uh it, it's crazy just because you were one of the first. I remember the first time I think we sat down, it was me, you, and JD in Orlando. And I did the story on what goes into being a player development coach. And I want to say that was maybe your guys' first year in Detroit. Um, And so to see, yeah. So to see you here now, happy for you. um, And and appreciate you taking the time out, man. Yeah, no, you're, I I love listening to this show, watch it, you know, every week and you guys do a great job of uh, there's, there's fun basketball talk, but there's also great content from the the individuals that have been on this uh, podcast and, and, you know, previous week. So you guys do a great job, obviously more than anything. I, pr- I appreciate uh, the coverage on the Pistons and especially the love and the coverage and the support on the Motor City Cruise, especially for our players and for our organization as they've done a great job with it. And, and you guys have shined a light on it to let the fan base know um, about it. So, so really appreciate it and love being on with you guys today. As a, as a final note, I would be remiss if I did not say this on behalf of my dad, who uh, is a big DJ Baker guy because when he was my dad was the my cameraman when I was at the tryout and there was one point where you like went out of your way to walk up to him and be like hey you're getting everything like everything's good you're doing all right my dad really appreciated that and so did I so on behalf of my dad thank you for doing that uh if you are listening to this on Apple Podcast be sure to rate five stars leave a review subscribe if you're feeling generous even if you're listening to this on Spotify still leave five stars because this was probably one of our better episodes of all time ladies and gentlemen we will be back on Tuesday our new drop date with an interview with rod beard who is being sent off of well i say sent off sounds like he's getting sent off the pitch like he got a red card already ladies and gentlemen we will catch you guys in the next one peace